This episode of the Michael Much Podcast is brought to you by the film The Neighborhood, written and directed by and starring Frank D'Angelo in theaters August 18th. I just want to do the tagline. It's, tell me who you hang around with and I'll tell you who you are. Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? Not much. Hanging with my boys. Also here with our pop culture aficionado, who's joining us again for the top, Shaney Boy. Shane, what's going on? Hey, man. I just, uh, geez. Hello, hello. <laughs> well handled. <laughs> I'm good on my feet, man. <laughs> so, uh, guys, how you been? What's been going on, Max? Like it's been a while since we got to do it's this. It's been a while since yeah. the three of us have gotten together. Um, but I will say, uh, Max, I was just talking to Lauren. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, you partying with hockey players is becoming an epidemic. Oh, did she tell you? I heard you snuck out with another hockey player last night. La- we can't stop. Well, <laughs> what? well Again? T- two nights in a row this weekend. So on, f- oh, actually, I so saw on Friday night. Actually, I made a taboo here. It was because Beer Festival uh, down by the, the pier in Hamilton and Sloan was playing. And those beers really creep up on you. And uh, there was like a, probably 10 or 11 of us down there. We had a great time singing along to all the hits. You were there. You were not there. Where were you? $40 a ticket. I was at the ship waiting uh, for you guys to show up. But you never did. You were with hockey players. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. So we all go to Absinthe after, and the nut was out. And, uh, and, and he, <sighs> It was he, an epic nut night. Oh, he, uh, Let me just tell you, I'm in the doghouse right now. I have to have a breakfast with him tomorrow morning, Uh-oh. like an apology breakfast. I told you, man. I told you he was oh. upset. So basically, my thing was, so I got a phone call from Darnell Nurse and Luke Gadzik, let me just set this up a yeah. little bit. So we're all out at this Because Beer Festival. It's Max, myself, it's the Nuts, a bunch of our friends. Shane, you weren't there. You didn't want to pay $40 well, for the ticket. Well, you said this $40 a ticket is bullshit. So I'm like, yeah, f*** that. I'm not going. <laughs> and then I missed out on the night of your lives. <laughs> so after that, we go to Absinthe for a drink with the Nut. The nut like he orders the Uber. He's like, we're all going to and, things. And he was being very generous. Like he ordered he Uber shot everybody else. He did. He was being, he was, he was nutting out in the best way. Yeah. Uh, so we go to Absinthe. Whatever, we're all hanging out. Max is texting with his influential, famous hockey player friends. So Max gets a text from Darnell Nurse, who is hanging out in Hess Village. Well, he was at a, golf, a charity golf tournament Oh, in that's Hamilton. what it was. So kind of really quick, you, we just jumped in a cab. Well, in my very drunk mind, I wanted to say hi to those guys. Because they had like FaceTimed me. It was Darnell Nurse, Luke Gadzik. Connor McDavid was there. Wow. Um, they were all in town to support this charity. <clears throat> and I was going to, I wanted to go say hi. And then I wanted to go see Lauren because Lauren was working at the West Town and she was going to be closing up. So I wanted to kind of get there for Geographically, last Geographically, it makes sense. It You're makes heading sense. Uh, west. Exactly. But I hate uh, coordinating large groups to travel with. Like, I just have no patience for that at all. Mm-hmm. So if there's more than like three people, I'm not going to corral anybody. I feel like a lot of my life is organizing things and when I'm having like a night out I don't want to be responsible for any of that stuff so basically I just like kind of looked around and I said all right I need I there's room for four of us in this uber you 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 let's go did you wait until the nut was in the washroom no. <laughs> no. Why? Is that what you heard? No, that's what I heard. No, 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 no I'm no, just no. spreading okay. rumors. Yeah. The big issue is that in that initial car that all went to Hess to go to this exclusive party, the nut was not in this car. Oh, we just didn't tell anybody, too. But I, in my mind, I was like, oh, everyone's partying at Absinthe. Who cares? You, you know, you kind of think you get to a point of the night where nobody really cares where anybody goes because all bets are off. If it's an exclusive thing, though, this is the thing the nut lives for. The nut, and here's the, why I feel extra bad. It's because the nut has got us into every mm-hmm. bar and nightclub in Toronto. And 100%. he is always our guy. And he would really appreciate being at a thing like that. And I totally did not 
uh, do the right thing and, and get him in the Uber, or at least give him a heads up that we're all heading there. So then we got there, and then your brother Greg was like, oh, the nut's not happy right now. I was like, ooh. So I texted him. I was like, come over to the place. And then about 10 minutes later, the rest of the gang arrived. And it was actually pretty fun. There was like bottle service, as we do. <laughs> and, and it was like this like massive bottle of, uh, like, you know, if you're at the, um, the border and you, you go to the duty-free and like these bottles are like six times the size of normal bottles. Yeah, like one, Costco size. Yeah, yeah, it was like one of those. And then I saw the nut at the other, he just emerged at the other end of the booth. And he was just so like... Not not kind of expressionless, you know? He was fuming, but it, he was in a difficult spot because there's all these hockey players, the booth was popping, so you don't want to be the guy that comes in and you're all angry. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of keeping his composure, but you could tell he was I on fire t- underneath. Yeah, that I had let him down. And then I sent him an apology the next day, and it was a very long apology, saying like, hey man, what I did was not cool. I apologize. You've always been there for me. I'm sorry. And then it was a very like short, kind of like, it's a... All good, bro. Like one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which made me feel worse. So anyway, I got a breakfast date with him. Um, you set the breakfast date up? Well, we had, we had some other stuff we, we wanted to catch up on. So I was like, let's let's go do it. So Are you going to have to pay for this? Oh, yeah. I'll pay for it for sure. Yeah. But it'd anyway. Be, it'd be funny if you got a text from Darnell Nurse and blow off the lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got to go. Um, yeah. Oh, and then last night we went to Tom Petty and uh, Ryan O'Reilly was in town and we went out with him afterward. See, it's, here's the thing is that. It's kind of Lauren gets really excited about this because her, I think this is what stems from her dad is a massive hockey fan, has tickets to the Buffalo Sabres, like knows all these guys. So whenever this happens, we get to like report a funny story back to Brent, Lauren's dad. And like she just gets such a kick out of it. So go, hey, dad, guess what we did last night? So in a weird way, it's more about like impressing Lauren's dad that we were partying with <laughs> NHL dudes. And that's why we went out. Would you call your brand of music like hockey rock? No. It seems like they all like it. No, but you know what it is? is that There's a lot of Canadian fans. of our, Like our demo would probably be like Canadians age 18 to 32. And a lot of NHL players are Canadians age 18 to 32. Mm-hmm. So that's probably where the crossover is. And keep in mind, a lot of these guys, you know, Ryan O'Reilly's from Clinton, Ontario, which is like outside of Grand Bend. Probably all of his childhood friends that he still hangs out with listen to FM 96 or Edge 102 and we're on those stations all the time. So, like, in their mind, we're, we're a big deal. Now, the difference is, like, they're millionaires. Like, But in their minds, you're a millionaire. Yeah, but I'm definitely not a millionaire. How much are you making? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so? So, anyway, the, the weekend was awesome. I had a question. Uh, I don't think you'd have any opinion on this, but I want Mike uh, Mike's opinion. Who has more bona fide hits, Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen? That's a great question. I mean, we could probably pull out the list and kind of like point at exactly what the tally would be. But I think off the top of your head, most people would just say Bruce. Because Bruce is the more famous, more respected, sort of like uh, canon all-time performer the way he's viewed. But sneakily, Tom Petty, I guarantee you, like I could probably sit here right now and name like eight. Yeah, if you've seen his doc, uh, like he's got this long-ass doc on... Running Down a Dream? Yeah. Is it good? I've never watched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Oh, um, I want to watch it. But every he, song, you're like, holy shit, that's a hit. That's a hit. He did that? What the... Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of he did that, mm-hmm. and he's just... he's he, It's just stacked. stacked no, you, you put list. it perfectly. I think Springsteen is more beloved, and there's sort of like a passion to Springsteen's performance and to his fans that is very singularly the boss. Like, there's nobody like him. But when it comes to... If you just go like down the greatest hits on from Petty versus Springsteen, listen to Petty's. American Girl, Breakdown, Running Down a Dream, You Wreck Me, Learning to Fly, 
I, I need to know. Listen to her heart. Refugee. Don't do me like that. Free fallen. Even the losers. Here comes my girl. The waiting. Won't back down. I only, back I only down. know uh, free fallen out of those. <laughs> but I only know dancing in the dark. No, Bruce. you know, you know all those songs. If you were to hear these, these yeah, Tom Petty to songs, hear them, you know, I would. Yeah. But I mean, living I think like a refugee, casual. Don't have ca- to live like a. <laughs> okay. Stop. Um, no, I won't back down. No, I, yeah, I know that one. Know yes, what? and I'm free falling. Of course, you know? Last the way dance with Mary Jane. You didn't even mention one that more one. Learn to feel the pain. Okay, I think he wins then. Oh yeah. The, um, the oh, other... actually, he has a great line in one of his songs uh, where he says, "My old man was born to rock. He's still trying to beat the clock." I told Lauren um, that that's the that's song the, that you reference about Roy Boy. That's the Roy Veerman line. Yeah. Uh, I need to know. You know, running down a dream. If you heard it, that song, that my old man. That's a. Uh, uh, so let's get to the point. Let's roll another joint and turn the radio. You know that one. You don't know how it feels. But you know, actually, another thing, and then I was I like going through song. his discography. His big. He had a couple of hits on his first couple of records that came out in seventy seven, seventy eight. Damn the Torpedoes is 79, but he had consistent hits through the 80s, and even some of his biggest songs are from the early 90s. Like, I don't think of Tom Petty's sweet spot as being like 92 and 96. Like, when you think about what was going on in music then, I did not think about Tom Petty, but like, some of his biggest songs are from records in the early 90s. If you go through Springsteen's catalog, obviously, he's got a lot of hits, and I think Springsteen fans would be like, What are you talking about? They're all hits. But like, there's Dancing in the Dark, Born, Born to Run, Born in the USA. Glory, Glory days. days, Hungry Heart, yeah, Secret Garden, uh, Philadelphia. So, like but as far as like as far as like the monster hits that like every like the mom test or whatever, yeah. I think Springsteen's got maybe six that like definitively you'd know to hear, yeah. and then you have his passionate fan base that love all of his deep cuts and mid tier hits and all that. Tom Petty, like you said, like just FM radio. I feel like Tom's got more. What we should do is we should do a Twitter poll, and I want people's instinctive gut reaction: who has more hits. And then we'll do like a scientific study to see who actually has more hits. Okay. And we'll put the nut on there just for fun. Because <laughs> he's in a, I'm not sure if you know, he's in a Twitter poll right Oh, now. that's right. Yeah. And he, have you noticed that he's commenting and campaigning for everyone? Well, he, he yeah, he's leading the return guest vote. I voted right? for the nut today. Me too. I, well, I felt bad about the uh, hockey. The whole incident. How do you, how do you know he's winning? Because it shows the results. Once you vote, results. it does the thing. Oh, shit. It shows you. You got to vote. Click on, click on his name. I got to download Twitter. Yeah, by the way, um, a little b- piece of housekeeping. If you listen to the pod, please uh, rate us and subscribe on iTunes. I'd usually say that at the end of the show or the beginning of the show, but I'm just going to tell you right now. And tell your friends, because that helps a lot too. Absolutely. Um, fellas, one thing I did uh, this uh, past weekend is I went to my very first Indian wedding. <laughs> yeah, you, you were telling us about that. You were like, I'm going to an Indian wedding, boys. <laughs> You're like very proud of it. So I tell was us excited. About it. Yeah, yeah it's it, a whole new experience. It absolutely was. It was, uh, it was, it was cool. It was so, I mean, these traditional weddings, I guess, can go for three or four days. I know they'd started on a Thursday. We went to the ceremony on the Friday morning, and then on the Saturday was the reception, the big reception. But I didn't know what to expect. I knew we were going to go to a temple. I knew you had to cover your hair when you go in and take your shoes off. Right off the top, the groom, he showed up on a white horse, like surrounded by a bunch of people in his wedding party, different family members. And then his like groomsmen for his wedding party were in front of the horse, like dancing as they had like drums and they were singing. And this is how he arrived to the temple where his 
bride was waiting. Now, did you feel like a dud thinking back on your own wedding, how boring that was? hundred <laughs> percent. I was like, man, I wish I'd been here first so that I could have stolen some ideas. Uh, and then the, yeah, it was just, it was cool. It was our friend Jimmy um, and his wife, uh, Janita. And the reception was awesome. Everybody danced. Like, you know, I don't know, like we've been to a bunch of weddings recently and it's like people dance, dance floor gets good. At this wedding, the minute the dancing started until the end of the night, dance floor was packed and nobody stopped dancing. Here's a question. Uh, leading up to the wedding, you were telling us you were going, and somebody said, aren't Indian weddings dry? And then you were like, you hadn't thought of that? No, I panicked, yeah. Yeah, you started to panic, <laughs> and then you're like, why wouldn't Danica tell me this? And it's like, of course she wouldn't tell you. Uh, but was it dry? Absolutely not. Okay. No, it was great. It, and it was like, it was, yeah, open bar. Were there speeches? Yeah, there was. Yeah, the, actually, his best man and the groomsmen had a really great speech. They, they, they kind of did this whole bit where it was like, you know, I'm the best man, but the other three think they should have been the best man, and so I'm going to give them a little bit of time to explain why they should have been. Uh, cool. And then all three got up and had sort of a speech as to why they should be, and it ranged from, like, hilarious to, like, really touching, where one of his uh, groomsmen said, you know, like, people have friends, and I'm not going to sit here and say I'm your best friend because it's not that. He's like, you're my brother to me. Uh, it goes beyond friendship, and it was really nice. Uh, anyway. Would I, I have cried? Oh, yeah. You cried everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, that was my experience. It was great. And uh, I wish them all the uh, the best in the world. And uh, Jimmy listens to the pod. Oh, and, does he? And, Shouts to Jimmy. And his wife, Janita, was a huge uh, Arkells fan. Oh, damn. Yeah. Damn, Sam. But actually, in between day one and day two, yep. we all managed to go to Buffalo, New York. Our friend Jay Kelly. Yeah. Bachelor party. Buffalo's the best. Buffalo? We should, yeah, just talk about Buffalo for a minute. And what a great town that is and recommend that anybody who's like just kind of looking for a night out then is sort of sick of toronto or hamilton go to buffalo first of all last call is 4 a.m uh there's it's very affordable like the food there is amazing beer is dirt cheap you can get a box of rocks from the bartender <laughs> could you explain what that is yeah he's using the terminology <laughs> i'm just using my buffalo slang <laughs> well i'm gonna get there 24 <laughs> Rolling Rock beers in a case for $25. And the bartender just like goes in the freezer, gives you a whole case, shovels some ice on top of it, and then you just bring it to the back of the bar and you can play Flip yeah, Cup. Yeah, there's girls just waiting for you to play Flip Cup. <laughs> <laughs> in every bar in, in Buffalo. Every, yeah. And uh, it was it was just an awesome night. And, um, and like, you know how when you're in Toronto, you get kicked out of a bar. I'm not sure if this happens to you, but uh, <laughs> you get kicked out of a bar. You're trapped out of the bar. You can't get into another one. There's just lineups and you, you, it basically ruins your night. In Buffalo, you get kicked out of a bar. You just go to another one yeah, and another one, another one. There's no lineups, nothing. It's perfect. Yeah, but they're not all like dead. Like they're all like nice bars. They're the perfect amount of people. Yeah. So it doesn't. If you get kicked out, it's almost just funny. Yeah. And yeah. The, the sort of the level, it's like they're never. They're not too fancy, but they're not like they're not dives. too divey. No, they're like, like that, the, the Buffalo Dive Bar is much different than the Hamilton Dive Bar. Yeah. The Hamilton Dive Bar is like you probably don't want to go in. Like there. there's not young people. In yeah. There. Yeah. Exactly. You did almost get in a fight though. Do you remember? Me? Yes. In Buffalo? Yes. What are you talking about, Max? You got up on stage oh, and you're yeah. <laughs> Max in Canada is a big star, but Buffalo they haven't done that full crossover, so people didn't know they were on stage with the like professional lead singer. We were at a karaoke bar. Yeah, we were at a karaoke bar, and then these girls were trying to grab the mic off you. Well, I I joined you guys because what was the song? Say my name. Say my name by, by Destiny's, Destiny's Child. Child. And we have great video of this actually. But I think when you walked up, you thought the girls were just going to toss you the mic. <laughs> 
But then you went over to grab it, and she was like pushing you. Well, she, they were kind of trying to elbow us out of the way because we had taken their turn. It turns mm-hmm. out that it, they had chosen the song. Drunken confusion. At yeah, this yeah. point, we were all very. Uh, it was a bachelor party, so we basically got into town and just kind of started drinking. Yeah, and uh, those girls were not happy with me at no. all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to the interview. All right, so today on the show we have uh, Jeremy Taggart, the former drummer of Our Lady Peace. Huge, iconic uh, Canadian band from our youth. Co-host of the very popular Taggart and Torrance uh, podcast. That's We're right. We're on a roll with drummers lately. No oh. pun intended. Drum roll. Yeah, please. <laughs> and actually, for a little backstory related to myself and the Arkells, is uh, Jeremy is Tim's first drum teacher. So everything Tim knows on the drums can be attributed back to Jeremy Taggart. So Jeremy Taggart's a bit of a mentor for your drummer. Yeah, and uh, you know, in our early days, Taggart was incredibly helpful and generous with like spreading the good word of the Arkells, and he like ended up giving our CD to like George Strombolopoulos and people at the Edge One Hundred Two, and has been a champion since day one. So, and the thing which I love about Jeremy is he's like full of life and is very unfiltered. So and we haven't done the interview yet, but I'm positive it's going to be good, and because. Our Lady Peace, keep in mind, obviously they're an iconic band. And at their peak, they're playing Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, you know, they're opening, I think, for the Rolling Stones. They had a huge hit, like big hits in America. Uh, so it's, it wasn't just a, a CanCon thing. So he has definitely seen a lot. He's, he's actually partied with hockey guys, too. So yeah. that's the other thing we have in common. And he was in your very first music video. Yeah, that's right. He played the boss. I know the boss is coming. Oh, mm-hmm. the original boss. The original boss. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to him. All right, well, let's get to the damn thing. Want to get to the interview? Let's get to it. Let's talk to Jeremy. Everything cool, audio-wise? Yeah, levels are great, man. Thanks for being here. Max wishes he could have been here. He wanted to I know. say hello. I heard they're sitting beside the road with a spare tire getting <laughs> thrown on, right? Yeah. That's the worst. Well, you're close with Tim. Yes. How yes. often do you and Tim talk? Every day. Yeah. I mean, I've known him since he was 15, and I mean, I'm very close with his family, and just uh, he's such a great guy. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I've known him forever now. It just feels like he's part of my family, too. So, um, and the success with, with, the, with our Kells has been, like, amazing. It's been almost like a complete turnaround, because when I first met Tim... It was at Maple Leaf Gardens when OLP was playing there, and his dad got him some drum lessons, and I became friends with the family and started, you know, teaching him and helping him out. And obviously, he's taken their complete path, and he's a fantastic drummer now. But like, just it's really come 180 where now they're playing arenas and selling out everywhere, yeah. and it's like I'm like the the old old man that's all happy i feel like the, the proud papa you, know? <laughs> you watch the bird fly yeah and it's it's the coolest thing about that band is is they they're just such nice guys and all, all i've ever done with them from day one that i met them was just kind of help them out you know yeah that's genuinely it. good guys <laughs> yeah and you don't encounter that a lot i think in entertainment yeah no for sure i think you think by now that like it would just be, you know, there'd be some disasters by now. But <laughs> I mean, they're all really level-headed dudes. So yeah, yeah. Um, and he, does he do a bit on your pod? Yeah, he puts it together every week. Yeah, he's, that's he, amazing. Yeah, he's like the technical producer for TNT. Look at that; it's all yeah. it's all connected. <laughs> yeah, we're so low tech that we record it on our phones and we try to keep the file small so we don't go over twenty minutes. <laughs> gotcha. So you can still email it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's how low tech TNT is. I like that. <laughs> but it's doing well, man. It's fantastic. You guys are killing it. It's doing great. Yeah, I mean, it's we've. I guess we're 
almost three years old. We've had over two million downloads, and uh, we've toured the country twice. We're, the, the book's coming out October 17th, Canadianity, Tales of the True North, Strong and Freezing on HarperCollins. So we're doing a book tour across the country. and That's phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, man. It's really amazing how it's been real kind of grassroots based on this what we call Canadianity and, and bodism, which, you know, I'm sure you're, you've been with your friends or out east and everybody just throws bot around. Hey, sure. bot, come on, bot, let's go, bot. <laughs> and we've kind of adopted that to bodism, where it's almost like a religion of Canadianity. And it's just, it really is growing. Because, I mean, it, you know as much as I do, being in media in Canada, the last thing we usually talk about is kind of what happens in Canada. Usually sure. it's like the rest of the world or, you know, what the heck's Kanye West doing or the Kardashians yeah. or it's it's TMZ or whatever. But um, our from day one, our show has been centered around Canada and celebrating our past. And you know, people can, uh, they connect to it for sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, I want to get to that a little bit later. Yeah. But before we get to that, I wanted to start with OLP. Okay. And, I mean, you joined the band at age 17. Yes. How did you come to join the band? Uh, well, um, it was... I was 17. I was really just getting out of baseball, which was all I was doing at that time before, obviously, in high, in high school. What position? A pitcher and, oh, and nice. hitting. My father was and I were really into it for years. And I, I ended up playing rep ball and then double A ball and traveling around Ontario. Wow. I kind of got sick of the politics of baseball because I'd been doing it from a very young age. And drumming just kind of came in when I was about 14, and my father was a drummer, uh, a jazz drummer in, like, the Yorkville scene in, in, in the 60s in Very Toronto. Cool. So, and he was kind of, like, upset that I was going getting into drums because he had given it up in the 70s mm. and felt that it was a fail, failed path and just you're never going to make any money. So he was kind of bummed out that I was quitting baseball to go to drumming. But, I mean, the learning curve from starting and being in... in I guess looking for local gigs or real, you know, I was expecting to be like in a cruise ship would be fantastic or <laughs> playing at a hotel. Like sure. A, a working musician. A real musician, what most musicians do. So um, I was just looking in Now Magazine every week at the Musicians Wanted ads and trying to find something. And one week there was one in there that said there was a band with some interest that, that had an EP and... and uh, they were looking for a new drummer, and I and I went there, and it was kind of a madhouse of like, at that time, if there was any element of success with a band, like possible possible success, there was always like fifty drummers or fifty guitar players, like they trying to just, jump on. They would just show up because it was like this hey, band's going to get a record deal. Any, yeah, yeah, anytime you saw it in the, in the magazine, if there was a hint of interest, that those those auditions would be crazy. So. Um, I went there. What, like a jam space sort of deal? Yeah, it was actually at uh, the studio where we ended up recording the first record, Arnyard at the time, studios up on Torrey York Drive <laughs> and like Finch and Weston where they're more noted for like, you know, Sicilian neckties and car <laughs> chop shops <laughs> yeah, than yeah. actually making music, you know? So uh, I, I went in there and it was like all these drummers were coming out and I went in and being young and just kind of probably dressed like a, you know, total nerdy baseball player it took me like an hour to set up my kid and show up in your they uniform. were kind of probably like yeah whatever hurry let's get this kid out of here kind of thing and 
it ended up once we started playing, there was just an instant chemistry, you know? It was, it was really a great vibe, and we didn't really, we didn't play songs, we were just jamming, and it just felt easy to jam, so um, it was pretty quick after that, that that they asked me to join, and and we really, we signed a, with Sony like a month later, that spring of 93, it's and good timing started our seven-album deal with Sony, yeah, well, and... Uh, it was funny the idea of uh, chemistry because I, I was talking to Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah, and he auditioned That's for the right. Chili's as well because he replaced Jack Irons, which he's awesome for sure. And you know, it's interesting because I was—he said the chemistry, of the music was immediate, yeah. but he's so different than Flea totally. and Anthony yeah. that he's like it took a long time for the personalities to sort of mesh in a way but the yeah. music was there right away for sure did you find personality wise you you connected with the other guys well i was a lot younger like i was 17 and they were all like post-college like 20 like mid-20s yeah yeah so it was there was a bit of a disconnect in terms of like uh socially you know because i was just a young kid and they were i was obviously um because i had kind of grown up thrown around ontario my, my i've had a I had a different kind of upbringing. My parents were very hippie-esque and lived for the moment. So I just had a pretty, I guess, a older than my years kind of up, up, upbringing. So I think that lent itself well to the chemistry because when we were com- conversing and stuff, we, we got on pretty well, like on a, on a commentary level, you know. So Interesting. I, I think uh, it was just uh, they saw me as very eager and excited, and that was kind of like an energy boost for for them. So that's why it kind of made sense for sure. Were they who was it? Was it was it Rain? It was Rain Chris Ecred at the time right. and Mike Turner and Mike Turner? Yeah. Were they extremely ambitious from the start? Were you like uh, you know was the goal? We need to get a record deal. Yeah. This is the thing we're doing. That's one thing we were was very serious from day one. Everybody looked at it as a job. I mean, not that different than Arkells. I mean, they when they first started, they would rehearse six days a week, you know, yeah. like all the time. And that that's what you do. You just if you're going to be a band, you have to get into a room and just bash it out for a long time. And it never really stops. Like once you actually start getting on that those cylinders, the um, Y- y- that's the best way to, to write songs is just to be in a room for hours, you know, and just hash stuff out and and mold it and shape it. I mean, all, our best albums, in my mind, were the ones where we sat and did pre-production for three months. Right. We just worked on the songs, and eventually they were ready to record, and we just play them over and over and over. I remember, like, Clumsy, that album, most of the songs were written. We went up to Duncan's Cottage and just played the songs like a hundred times in a row. And so when the time we went into the studio, it was, wasn't about like performance. It was more about just kind of the vibe. You're just like, let's just play Vibe, it. small adjustments. Yeah, for sure. Did you have the songs when you got to the cottage or did you write them? Yeah, the they cottage? were written and we just, po- well, we wrote them at the cottage and polished them up at the cottage for right. sure. Yeah. Did you find the, the process, I guess, of, of writing records or even clumsy like, laborious or was it thrilling is it like both everything i mean there's moments i mean navid we recorded for almost a year or like eight months or something like that and then clumsy was almost the same so anytime you make a record that long uh laborious is definitely part of it you know it just is when you're doing in the studio for months at a time it feels like it's never going to end i mean Nobody ever spent more than a month in the studio until, you know, 
Sergeant Pepper happened, you know. And that set the precedent. Yeah, it's like, well, that took three months, and everyone was like, wow, three months, that's like insanity, and that's it. The the album became more of a piece of work than than a uh, performance of your live show. So, I mean, we, we really took a while to make our albums, for sure. From your point of view, you know, when you you write, you record a record, you're going to be excited about it naturally. Mm -hmm. Did you personally feel like this shit's going to be big? Like this is going to go over really well? Um, I I mean, I guess we'll start with Naveed. Naveed, for sure. Like I felt that there was some, like I really, I remember finishing that album and living, I was living on, uh, in Weston, like just north of Jane on Weston Road. Like not the best area, but like we were in this, shitty house and the basement was cement and i set up my kit down in the cement basement and i remember listening to the the final album and being really proud of it and going this is actually there's a there's an energy here every song has kind of a different feel but they're all very cohesive and um i was there was a shitload of energy on that record and i just felt like it was comparable to the records that i liked at the time right you know like i, I was into to Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Rage and all these great new bands that were kind of popping up all over the place and um, that record to me was kind of cohesive with that and probably clumsy as well but I think I, I know that Starseed when that was recorded we felt that there was a good energy to that song and I mean I think it was probably the most immediate song that OLP ever put out. Sure. It definitely was. R- for radio's sure. all over it. It's, Everybody it'll always be a song that you hear every couple days, for sure. Sure. <clears throat> I mean, as the rise started, you guys toured with Van Halen in those early mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Uh, you opened for the Stones. Yep. Uh, Ramones. It was a great... Plant. Yeah. Are, like, I mean, what are some of the more memorable things? Did anything stick out from that time or, or particular yeah, well, anecdote? Yeah, the, the once it the starts, like being 18 and kind of opening up for Page and Plant, that was our first, like, playing a big place in, in, in the States. I think it was we were in Cincinnati or Chicago or something, and we, we got a call that Robert Plant wanted us to, to do some shows with them. Like, he literally heard the song, and it's like a limo, and, and Starseed in a limo in, in New York, and, like, called his managers. Like, oh, i got to get these guys. It was that kind <laughs> wow, of Wow, that's thing. like a movie story. It really was, yeah. for sure. And uh, those shows were incredible. I was like, that was my first taste of, like, wow, like, doing a sound check and Jimmy Page is standing like at the side of the stage. And then when we're playing, he's like dancing. Really? This is nuts, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And then, you know, hanging out with Alex Van Halen for three months every day, like just he took me under his wing. He did. Yeah. Him and Ed were just such sweet guys. And they, they really respected the fact that I was into music, like hardcore, like drumming and wanted to talk about Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and Bonham and, like Alex was an Ed or those kind of musicians too. Still. They're these like music historians. Themselves yeah, they just love it. Study you know, the game for sure. So um, it was pretty cool to to get you know see those kind of musicians. Who was singing on that tour? Sammy Hagar. Hagar, yeah. right? Gotcha. But like we did shows with Face No More and you know Mike Borden's. A, I'm a huge fan of him as a drummer. And again, the Ramones to see see the Ramones like up close. Sure, you know. Sure. I, I remember as a kid watching Rock and Roll High School and going, "Wow, these guys are such burnouts," you know. And then you, <laughs> but they're legends. They were like, it's fantastic for sure. So there was there was there were so many amazing moments like that, and you kind of start to forget about 
that the starness or the the celebrity thing of like seeing your heroes you become acclimatized to it yeah you don't it starts to become strangely normal and almost like it doesn't have the same effect anymore you start to feel like it's a peer thing and you're like uh, you're doing it now you're pro or whatever the hell it is you know what i mean there, there comes a switch but um it, it, I, like i still look back fondly and and um there's so many moments of meeting my heroes and uh, it, 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 like just the the idea of being a musician professionally and you know able to pay your rent and yeah you know just be comfortable it's it's really nice well I find it uh, interesting like I was in a band and we did some touring mm-hmm. um, and we got to do some arenas a bit like opening for like Headley and okay the thing is it's my brother was in the band we had another set of brothers but we were all very close friends and there's moments where you're on a stage and we'd look at each other and we go like holy shit like we're kind of like you know you're kind of faking it but we're here this is yeah. amazing yeah the chemistry in the band, you said, you know, you're almost a decade younger than the other guys. Did you have those moments? Was there a closeness in the group that you guys had? Musically, for sure. And I think respect-wise. I mean, um, we we were always pretty more business than friends, in a I sense. I guess that's what I'm getting you at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So like, it wasn't like your high school buddies that you were in this thing? No, like, like it co-workers. wasn't like we'd get off tour and like, let's go to the movies and hang right. out like we did before. We weren't friends first. So it's a little different like that, for sure. But, I mean, it was more based on music and and the the business side of music basically interesting well yeah. speaking of the business i mean since you started like working so young mm-hmm. i guess what are parts looking back about the music business that you wish you'd done differently if there is anything um listen to my instinct huh <laughs> you know i would i would be more um i would i would listen to my own instincts more i would like in what sense? Like, well, I mean, uh, when you go through life, you kind of—I don't want to say bite your tongue, but like you think something and you don't go that way, and and you kind of look back and you're like, you know what? I mean, I should have decided that. I should have been more outspoken. And well, we naturally sort of acquiesce, especially sure. if we think the people making the decisions know what they're doing. Yeah, totally. And that's a and, natural and it, preset. And sometimes when you when that kind of goes so far the other way, you just kind of you lose a little bit of that instinct, you know. Whereas that's all I am from day one, and that's all I am with Taggart and Torrens, and that's all I am when I'm playing in the studio or if I'm playing drums is the moment, and, and let's go from here, and let's create something that, that is only from me. Yeah. That's completely original. I can't, like, I'm going to write a skit like Chris Farley today, or I'm going to, you know, play drums exactly like, you know, uh, Stuart Copeland. You, you know sure. what I mean? It, it's... I can do what I do, and, and, and that's it. And it's best when it's something that I've, I feel is completely creative. I remember talking to Jason McGurr about the same thing. He's Death Cab from Cutie, for Cutie. And, I mean, that's a band that are very original sounding. And he's, he said it best by just saying, um, this is the only way we know how to be ourselves, is just to be us, as opposed to trying to fill in these boundaries that all of a sudden appear because those boundaries aren't really there unless you're day one formulated rock and roll guy or you sure. know, formulated pop music guy but that usually comes with work and they probably develop like a craft in that regard and it's then then it becomes formulated but most rock bands or interesting bands um are original and that's they don't sound like anybody and that's why they're cool right yeah. so Personally, I just feel that uh, anytime you go against 
what you feel instinctually, it, it's, it's a mistake. And, and going back, that's probably the only thing I would change is be more outspoken. Yeah. You know, believe in yourself, really. That's well, all. And in a lot of ways, you can't go wrong because, I mean, if it, if it doesn't work out, you only really have yourself to blame. And, and that's yeah. a good place to be because totally. it's better than going, shit, I should have spoken up or whatever, or yeah. if I'd done it a different way. It's, it's your you life. You live with the results. Yes, yes, for sure, definitely. I mean, I guess speaking, this is also in the business realm, but like at the height of OLP, um, I, that also, all of that coincided with sort of the, the final glory days of the major label. Yeah, era. yeah, the rise and fall of album buying, album purchase. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, the rise and fall of a lot of things, the rise and fall of buying records, the rise and fall of, of uh, tour support, the sure. rise and fall Big of, budgets for the bands. rise and fall of actually, you know, um, having a band like grow and, and develop with, with, with the, with the, the bank of the record company, the which investment do, doesn't yeah. exist anymore. So, yeah. Well, Canada's different. I got to say like the amount of money that the government puts forth for music in Canada. And I used to think that was like bullshit and that like, I think it sucks that our support like, of the arts by the government. Well, not that, well, yeah, it's like sometimes you see managers for smaller labels, like getting, you know, tons of grants that just happen and it's part and they, but like the government picks these people to be the hip understanding to where music is going. So I see that they have the right to refusal of where shit goes, but as opposed to some guy in, in parliament saying, here's where money's going to go. Right. Sure. But um, but they ultimately end up at being the end of the day. It's like no different than the whole own the podium thing that we did for the Olympics or the way we grow soccer. It's like you have to give into it. And, and the fact that Amer like the American government doesn't do it as much. They might do like genius grants and things like that. But like Canada is pretty incredible. The amount of money that actually goes into developing music and uh, developing talent. It's pretty cool. I wanted to ask another anecdotal story because yeah. uh, I heard this one from uh, one Tim Oxford who okay. we talked about, about an OLP Juno performance where you played a song called Not Afraid instead yeah. of the song you guys rehearsed. Walk yeah. us through that. What's, what's the deal? Me and Max wanted to know the story. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's another one of those things that probably wasn't the best idea, to be honest. <laughs> um, we... we I, th I, th I think we were supposed to play Starseed or something. It was supposed to be like a <laughs> Innocent or something, like a big song. And yeah, we, do the hit. And we did the, like, run-throughs with the cameras, like, of the other song. And it was totally, like, a last-minute switch. You and know? the funny thing is about those run-throughs is they set up their timing. Yeah. And, all of their... and, that, and right away they were like, oh, no, because you could see, because uh, instantly their map is gone, right? <laughs> like, what are they doing? And to be honest, it was like, we thought it was going to be cool, but looking back, it probably wasn't because nobody really noticed. And then the only people that noticed were the committee and the Juno people, and we never got invited back. Yeah, the for people don't be pissed off about it. We never it. got <laughs> nothing. No more nominations, no more invites back to the Junos. Like, eh, might not have been the best idea. Okay, walk me through the conversation, <laughs> though. Is this like a, it's it leading was, up the week or like in the dressing room before you dumb, go? Out? I don't know. It probably came up as a, like, hey, you know, this would be cool. Yeah, this is kind of cool. Like, this is f***ed up. People think this is f***ed up. But, yeah, that's it. It was, like, almost like we should have thought more about it instead <laughs> of, like, let's do this. Like, I don't get it. I didn't understand it then. But, you know, it's it's one of those things. At, at the time, I was kind of in caught up in the the spontaneity of it. It's kind of a more punk of a rock thing to yeah, it as well. Like it's, yeah. I'm all off for the f***ing prank. 
So probably that was why I was down for yeah. sure. Is in general is Rain I think we thought the song was better than it was too. That's the other thing. Oh, like, like you really wanted to push this yeah, this other song. Yeah, we thought the song was special and it was a good song, but like you know, you never know. Sure. <laughs> in general, uh, uh, is is Rain impulsive? Uh I guess, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, I think um when you do something like that, you kind of have to be for sure. And I take, like I said, it's, I don't blame him. I take the blame as much for sure. Sure. Would yeah. things work in a democratic way? Definitely, for sure. But um, it, like um, being in a band and uh, kind of when you're doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, you kind of get used to how things go. So... Um, and obviously, Rain's a, a very uh, kind of a he takes up a lot of space just as a person. Like if you meet him, you know, <laughs> like in terms of like you're in the room, it's like, hey, Rain's definitely here. Like if he was sitting there, you'd be like, Rain's here, right? There's a you know, so in the, what sense? Like, a, well, like, just like a, boisterous or just presence? Or presence like I, for sure, you right. know. And uh, that would be the same in the studio, you know. Interesting. I think. Uh, He's definitely one of those people that if he's not like has hands involved like at a, at a big level, that there's less interest. You know what I mean? Mm. He's not probably like most people. If he's not doing most of it, he's not feeling it. You know what I mean? Right. You almost have but to I touch think all that's, aspects. That's like a classic ingrained like lead vocalist thing. That's just part of their makeup. Every singer I've ever met has an element of like. They gotta like get their piss stain hard on there. Yeah, it's just the way it is, and that's probably why bands are successful. And bands all need a leader for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I mean, I, I'm not sure what your question was, but like, definitely he's. It was it, yeah, it was, it yeah. was pertaining to the impulsiveness of yeah. deciding to switch a song at the last minute, and for sure, sort of definitely indicative of how yep. things had gone. Totally. Um, well, I mean, I guess that kind of leads to. You know, you mentioned you've chosen to do this path with the the pod and the radio show and mm-hmm. some other great things that are going on. Yeah. So you left the band recently. Like, how did you come to that decision, which you spoke to a bit? <clears throat> and I, and it was kind of a soft exit. Like, I yeah. guess just describe sort of of how that evolved. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's well, three and a half years now. So it's actually a fair amount of time. <laughs> Not super recent. Not super recent. Right. And uh, there's shit going on in that exit that's still ongoing so i don't necessarily want to get into that really okay yeah but i I wasn't uh, aware of that yeah but um in terms of like personally i just i think it was probably a a, there was an amount of time where i was like uh, this is probably gonna happen (laughs) and uh when i but you know when i did decide that this is the right decision in my mind i like instantly got uh such a feeling of relief you know what I mean? It was almost like something that that I didn't realize was such an such a, a, an a, an issue with me that I wanted to, to do. You know, so I think it has more to do with doing something for twenty one years. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't do anything when for you start, years. and especially when you're young and you kind of grow up in it. So I mean, it's it it wasn't just like I was twenty eight and joined it for twenty years. It's like when you're seventeen. And you grow up in it. And it wasn't just growing up in the band. It was like I was growing up as a person in the band. Your entire adult life. Yeah. Early adult life. So um, there was a lot of elements of like, 
almost like rebellion against my former self, mm-hmm. decisions of the way I used to be. Like all of those things were all connected to the, to the, the band, you know? So when you kind of look back after a moment, after t- 10, 20 years, you're like, I could probably just kind of cruise out here for another 20 years or maybe it's time to like try something different. And I kind of, once I decided that that was the right thing, I was, I was like, F-, <laughs> you know, I don't want to say we should have done it in t- t- 15 years before, but I, I, it was that kind of a feeling, you know, and I, I, I don't have any, uh, like I had such an amazing time playing with those guys for that amount of time. But just when you do something for a long time, there's certain things that, that kind of become uh, common and normal and that where they shouldn't be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, like that might be vague, but I'm just saying like there's an elements of, of my life where I was like, I, I just don't have enough control in my life anymore, you know? I understand what you're getting at. Yeah. I think I do anyway. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's like you, three months from now, and being in, in any band, you can't decide what you're doing in three months. You can't uh, say, I want to play summer baseball <laughs> once a week. Like, of course. There's those, a lack of stability in just sure. everyday life. Well, and it's interesting that you say, you know, it was a relief that you didn't even know you needed. Yeah. Which is yeah. a fascinating thought. That yes. It's almost like the act has to happen in order for you to sort of actually go, oh, I didn't even realize yeah. how much I needed that. Totally. For sure. Um, so your fellow podcaster, we talked about this a bit off the top. Yeah. Jonathan. Uh, you got the book coming out. Mm-hmm. How do you and Jonathan Torrance come together? Uh, I, I met him through, uh, Mike Smith, Rob Wells and JP, the three trailer park guys. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Uh, they were, he was on the show. Yeah. He's J rock. Yep. But they, he was, uh, like when, when the gravity record came out, those three guys came out and, uh, emceed the tour. And we actually, even Clattenburg came out and like they made an episode, the full Trailer Park Boys episode that never came out. Really? But it was like during the second, third season. So it was really funny. Like Bubbles was stealing shopping carts and putting them in the bus. And, you know, Ricky was like (laughs) stealing our rider. Like we came back after doing the show and the arena in Edmonton and like all our shit's gone and Ricky's wearing all our Edmonton Oilers jerseys. (laughs) Just like really funny, really funny. It was all based around an OLP show. Yeah, it was called Peace in the Park was the name of the episode. Why did this not come out? I think it had more to do with just the, it was on the cutting room floor and it didn't fit with any of the seasons or any of the specials. Oh, like the through arc? It was kind of like a standalone? Yeah, but it's still around and I think probably by the, the fact that they kind of that the boy, the three boys took it over, and Clattenburg's not really part of it anymore. I don't know if it'll ever come out. Who who knows what? But right. it was it was fun. But those guys were on that tour, and I got to know Jonathan through Mike, because Mike would always say, "Oh man, like when we're sitting together, I'll, I'll say, hey, that guy looks like this blank and blank looking mask, right? This guy looks like this, or that guy's a Harrison Ford looking mask, or that guy <laughs> looks like he works at the Bottom Machine <laughs> Museum looking mask, or whatever." He's that kind of guy. Like, he can just spot someone and say, holy shit, he does look like 50% of this guy and 50% of that guy. Oh, there's poor man's Harrison Ford. I know (laughs) what you're saying, yeah. That kind of stuff, but he's really good at it. And uh, when we first met, it was at a golf tournament. It was either in PEI or at a golf tournament. There's two, it was around, like, this two-week period. I'm not sure what happened first. But at this golf tournament, you know, he has his long, kind of blonde, shaggy hair. And he hits the golf ball, and I see him far away, and I was like, is that Jack Wagner down there? Because, <laughs> you know, Jack Wagner's like a celebrity golfer guy yeah. with the blonde hair. 
And so he thought that was hilarious. And I had my hair like kind of down and in like a broken ponytail. And he's like, hey, is that the father's of confederation? Like, mother- <laughs> <laughs> so so you're yelling it. back and it forth. It was like, yeah. bang. I was like, damn, that guy's awesome. Like right away. So we always kept in touch and we always like kept, we would say, let's try and do something together sometime. And um, once I started doing the Jay and Dan podcast as a regular kind of segment, I can't, I heard him on there and he did, he told this hilarious story about somebody taking a shit in a Sobeys bag. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so ridiculous and funny <laughs> that I, I, I was like, you know what I could, cause I started doing the Jay and Dan pod thinking that maybe I could kind of start my own podcast because I used to do Taggart's Take back in the day, actually with Tim Oxford. I did it for Chorus and like a, a bunch of st- radio stations across the country where it was sketches and interviews and stuff. And I thought I wanted to do something like that again. And when I heard Jonathan on there, I was like, shit, this, this is, uh, it would be a lot easier if we teamed up because he's funny. And every time we're in a conversation, I laugh my head off. Yeah. So, we we just said let's try a podcast together and instantly we like uh, I, I was listening say- to the to to an episode where uh, you guys were singing the the theme of Panama to try and sell <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> Panago pizza. pizza you you were laughing so I was at one point just laughing at you laughing because you were laughing so hard yeah the the idea of the ad exec trying to uh, sell Panago! the Panama yeah <laughs> yeah no like a whole video with Panama and then like the ease the seat back get a slice. <laughs> <laughs> So that that chemistry though was apparent just in hanging out, and yeah. then you're like, let's just f-ing record it. Yeah, exactly. And it's that's all that our podcast is is a an hour phone conversation every week. And you know we we kind of plan a game or or maybe a theme, but like it that's about it. It just becomes a conversation, and I think that's why people like it is because they feel like they're in on the conversation, like they're sitting in the back, like you said, you you start laughing. Like you're kind of hanging out. You exactly. Know? It, it, and that's why people like it. And that's why we've done 113 episodes now. So for sure. It's an interesting jump to go from, I mean, I guess drumming in and of itself is kind of like a more of a, I don't know, within the infrastructure of a band, more of a support thing. But being an honor personality, like you said, you've done Jay and Dan, you've mm-hmm. been doing radio, you've been doing stuff, of course. Like that's that's a big leap to become out front and sort of like an I, I don't want to say honor personality, but a personality in general. Yeah. Is that something that you'd been thinking about for a long time? Or does your personality just lend itself to that? Yeah, I think, well, I'm, I know from the beginning, like, when you talk to a band, you can kind of tell who probably would like to do interviews or would make sense to do interviews. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, I mean, it, I think because a lot of the people that we went, like, started if we went out to a record label or if we went out to, for example, like we went out for, to dinner with K-Rock and, you know, Lisa Warden, who the, was the music director at the time, like we really hit it off and she thought I was funny. And it's, so that kind of thing is like, well, if, if the way we've been kind of getting through PR enough, like maybe that makes sense that, that I should do interviews or I'd feel comfortable to do interviews. Yeah, Jeremy should always be up front because it's just it's and, natural. And, and everybody in the band was a good talker, but I think also that I, I was more adamant about being like that from day one, and I was young, I think. But the, so I was like, let's put the kid in there. That was always the thing as well. The record company would push it because I was 17. So I think... I, 
Um, and then I became friends with a lot of broadcasters. Like I grew up with George Strombolopoulos and Jim Richards is a really good friend of mine. Jeff Merrick's a really good friend of mine. So um, most of my friends are, are kind of that type of person anyway, like yep. a, a content speaking, somebody who understands how to get information from someone without sounding boring. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, yeah. So that uh, so I started co-hosting with, I mean, even like Chris Dunner out west um, at Sea Fox back in the day. Like I would go on for an hour on a Sunday night or Bob Makowitz, another friend of mine, I'd go on his show for an hour. And it just, uh, it was always something that, that was pretty easy for me because I was used to answering questions and then getting used to what questions I wanted to be asked as a, as a musician. And, and uh, yeah, so it was a pretty, pretty simple. I was just basically went to the other side of the mic, <laughs> you know, like asking the questions instead of answering them. Yeah. Well, I guess lastly, you know, what is your hope for the future? Is it, is it more music? Is it more sort of on the, the, the content creating personality side? Well, I think it's a little bit of everything and that's the way life is these days. I mean, you, um, you kind of have to do a little bit of everything, and um, I definitely I'm all not, I'll never stop being a drummer. I love drumming. I, I'm I'm practicing. I play in my bit, you know, my basement. I want to, you know, jam and do do that more. But like when you have three kids and you're trying to do all this other stuff, it, it just kind of slightly goes a little bit by the wayside. But I still it's still a huge part of my life for sure. But um, I just enjoy kind of the control of how things are happening with the podcast and you know I enjoyed writing the book you know that's another thing that I, I think I might like to do in the future as well like more writing and just kind of I think what I do period is like I've somehow found a way to um, just be give opinion and somehow that opinion is translating into some business for, yeah you know what I mean so that's 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 kind of how I look at it. Drumming is very similar in terms of like your your speaking, your 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 you know, you're having a conversation musically and you have this vocabulary based on all the things that you learned and when you're playing with someone you're kind of adding and improvising and talking musically and and this is kind of similar to me for sure talking. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you. This is great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Welcome to The Dessert. We are here with our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, how's it going? Yo, breaking news. Kind what? of sad news. Literally just found out two seconds ago, Martin Landau just died. Oh, wow. I saw that on Twitter. That was the only Oscar winner Frank D'Angelo ever had in a film. All, the rest were just Oscar nominees. How did you find out? Uh, my wife just messaged me. Oh, wow. All right. Shocking. Martin well, Martin he was like 98 years old. I guess it's not that sad. Yeah. So. What did did Martin Landau win for? Uh, uh, Ed Wood. Wood? Yeah. yeah, the Tim Burton film, right? Oh wow. With uh, Johnny Depp. And yeah, I think I think he was nominated for Crimes and Misdemeanors too, which he's awesome in. Yeah, that's one of the best films of all time. Yeah, I love that one. Woody Allen. Crazy. You seen that one, Maxie? Yeah, it's a good one. Wow. Okay. Well, literally right before we started rolling, Shane was like, "Oh, he looked at his phone. He's like, big news." Big and then news. what has become a theme with us is we didn't e- we, we couldn't even ask you what the news was until we started rolling. <laughs> Save it for the pod. We'll Save it for we're the doing pod. It live. But yeah, you were kind of snickering before uh, 
we started this. What, what was that about? Oh, I just had a question because it's <laughs> Sunday night right now, and it's kind of late. It's like ten thirty. Yeah, everyone's kind of annoying. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my fault. I pushed the. Probably. Yeah. We're working around your schedule. Yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, always goes to the most famous guy's schedule. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw you like walking down the street. You parked the car. I could just see your silhouette walking down my street, mm-hmm. and you're kind of like limping and walking really slowly. Like, what's going on? Are you okay? Oh, um, <laughs> no. What, I, I was. You yeah. have a funny walk to be in with a very distinct walk. I think. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, everyone, everyone, <laughs> everyone comments on it. But um, what happened was, I, I, although I was in a intense wrestling match last night, I uh, it's not related. <laughs> I I got these new Nike shoes. Nike sent me a pair of shoes. That's Us, right. all shoes. You got to see yeah, them. Very nice of and, you. Uh, Thank you. Shouts to uh, Nike. Yeah. But not to be a complainer, but it, the one really fucking hurts my ankle. <laughs> so my well, there goes our Nike that's deal. the end of that. My ankle is like bleeding. <laughs> like, like, oh wow, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you know your foot takes needs a while to, to break. Yeah, maybe it's the socks. Yeah, they're like yeah. Back to the Future shoes though. They're kind of cool. Like I guess Nike knows I don't really know how to tie my laces, so <laughs> there's no laces. Uh, yeah. yeah so hey, cool. speaking of uh, sponsors and pods, uh, has anybody ever investigated? Uh, the MeUndies, because MeUndies advertises on all, all the, the big, big pods. All the big pods. Yeah. But uh, if you listen to Bill Burr's podcast, he just makes fun of MeUndies all the time. Zach Lowe <laughs> also is sponsored by MeUndies. And he goes, well, here comes the part of the show where you get to listen to me talk about my underwear. And he clearly hates it. <laughs> oh, I love my package underwear. That's the best underwear on the market. No, no, I'm not saying that the underwear is bad. But I'm just saying that oh. it's funny when the host of the pod who's getting money... Uh, from a sponsor is openly making fun of the sponsor. And Tony Kornheiser actually is also sponsored by MeUndies and he just makes fun of MeUndies too because these grown men think it's just so absurd that this is the thing that they have to talk about. But obviously they're going to take the money. But I wonder if MeUndies has any rules about like what you can and cannot say because if anybody at MeUndies is listening, they got to say like these guys are only making fun of us. But maybe they don't care because they think it's all part of the brand. Well, if it's entertaining, the listener will stay, yeah. and ultimately that's better for MeUndies because the minute an ad starts on a pod, I hit the fifteen second skip. Yeah. Um, although I did stay once because I was kind of dozing on the train and I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast, and he was it was a thing for like Hotels.com or whatever. Yeah. But he had his buddy Joe House on, and Joe's kind of like a gregarious, like goofy guy that clearly makes Bill laugh. Uh, and he was doing a thing for hotels, and he was like, he's like, oh, is it five star? And this is Joe House asking. Bill's like, yeah. He's like, I only stay at five stars. He's like, they got all the best lotions. <laughs> and Bill Simmons literally couldn't, can, he exploded laughing because clearly he was alluding to jerking off. So it was oh, like, right. they just couldn't stop laughing. And it ended up being one of the most delightful ads I'd ever heard. <laughs> well, listen to Bill Bird talk about MeUndies. He's like, and he's swearing the whole time. He's, you gotta be f- Oh, the special uh, material in the underwear soaking, grab your ball sack. Like, he's just so vulgar, and it's awesome. But I think the older you get, honestly, the more important underwear is. Like, I'm in lo- I love underwear now that I'm older. Uh, a, lot yeah. people, a lot of people don't wear underwear. Mm-hmm. Our friend Sean Dawson doesn't wear underwear. Sean doesn't wear underwear? No. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, my go-to are the H&M boxer briefs. Those are affordable and very reliable. <laughs> this is a hilarious opening. <laughs> anyway, this is the dessert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's all I got. No, um, I wanted to talk about kind of a couple things that kind of changed my life, I guess, that happened, like film-wise. And just it's kind of related to Frank D'Angelo, too. After, by the way, we should acknowledge we should say the, yeah. the phenomenon of the Frank D'Angelo saga. Congrats, and, and Shane! You did such a good job. People are losing oh, their minds. Rave reviews. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot. A lot of people who I don't really talk to have been messaging me out of nowhere. So. Frank, 
No, not Frank. He has been liking some of my stuff on Facebook, though. Right. Which is cool. Did you listen to that, Frank? Oh, episode? yeah, I did. Of course I listened to it. <laughs> okay. But, but, okay, for our listeners, typically I'm pretty involved in the interviews and setting up when the When Mike's course. doing the interviews. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> like, when Mike's in the interview, like we, we talk about it. We you know, send each other links for research purposes. We, we talk about like, what we want to get out of certain answers. But with this Frank D'Angelo interview, <laughs> I completely stayed out of it because I don't really know that much about Frank D'Angelo. It was your baby, It though. was your baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I think at one point I did... Make some questions up, right? Didn't I? When yeah, we, when you we did, wrote the like restaurant. six months ago. Yeah, yeah, for the original interview that never happened. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know, Shane knows way more about this guy than I do, and he'll do a good job. And here's the thing it's because it was such an absurd episode. It was like, even if it went terribly or your questions were terrible, which they weren't, your questions were awesome. They're very detailed. You clearly knew what you're talking about. That would be funny too. So, <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't, I was kind of a. But I'm not talking about that. I'm like, what happened was the episode. Was finished uh-huh. and I sent it to you all excitedly, like thinking you're going to respond within the hour. Yeah, and then <laughs> I didn't I was, listen uh, to it immediately. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'll listen to it on the bus, and I was like, oh, how was it? You're like, ah, I only I got 12 minutes in. I <laughs> fell asleep, and then yeah. one thing led to another. It's been busy, but I did listen to the episode. Right. So I want you to quiz me on it. Did you feel like that? Like we weren't giving it like its proper due. <laughs> Weeks went by. And you always had an excuse. Well, like, we like, were doing other episodes. Like I was dealing with Chad, and then whatever was before Chad, the MMVA stuff. There was just a lot <laughs> happening. Yeah. I want to experience in real time with the rest well, it's like, of everybody. You know when you're excited about something, you think other people are yeah. going to be your level? I think Mike was like, oh, I never wanted to go to a Frank film premiere, but now I really want to go to one. After yeah. the interview, I guess, yeah, my thing was because I wasn't personally super interested in Frank, I think for me, like, I needed to find time to listen to the interview. It felt like something I had to do, which isn't a knock on you. It was more this, just, just I didn't know much about Frank. I wasn't super keen. It's like, you know, if, if a, a WTF Marin episode comes up and I don't really know the person, I just don't listen to the episode. Sure. So I knew I had to set aside time to listen to it. But to your credit, 100% and to Frank's credit, when I did get around to listen to it after the episode was put together, I was like, I thought that was great. I and was he's super a into wholly it. original personality. I too. found him compelling. Yeah. All of the same things that I think our listeners discovered, I, I came around to. It was just getting over the hump to find the time. But yeah. I'm sorry. I should have listened to it immediately. Sorry, but Shane. I would just think I'm giving it so much credence. You'd think if you trust me at all, you know there'd be some like rub off there. But Yeah, no. And, 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 and I got it. I just was like, I'm going to listen to it when it comes Max, out. Max, we let Shane down. Sorry, so we did. Sorry, Shane. Y- you did. But to quiz you, <laughs> is the saga over, yes or no? The saga is not over because at the end, you asked him if, I, if he could use Bosses Coming. Uh, in the vid- in uh, one of his upcoming movies, is because it's about a lawyer, I guess, like a high yeah. high profile kind of guy. Yeah, and <laughs> he had no idea who we were and what what our band's name was mm-hmm. or anything. Uh, but he was into the idea. He listened to the song and he wants to have um, me on the show. On- Do you think one day you're going to go viral? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, things go viral and uh, but think things happen. I kind of spoke at a turn. Like, are you able if if this all comes to like, are you able to lend bosses coming to one of his films? Uh, yeah, that that's probably uh, yeah. And you will do a duet with him on his show, Being Frank. So I talked to our manager Ashley about it, who's been to a taping of Being Frank. Yeah, she is a Francophile, and she said I'm not allowed to go on the show. Not allowed? Yeah. Oh, in the words of Frank, <laughs> she's. <laughs> so but you know what maybe we should have ash on the on the show and she'll, she'll being frank it would be no, on, on, on our show <laughs> it would be great to have ash on let's the have show. ash on the show i think she'll, so i think it'd just be fun to talk to her about dealing with you in some ways hey yeah that, she'd have a lot of stories she knows she has dirt on every single person in toronto she knows wow. about everybody 
Shit. Anyway, she she yeah, she'd be a great guest. And she listens to every episode too. She's so great. we'll get Ash on the show and she can walk us through what it's like to be in her position as a manager and when you say yes to things and when you say no to things. And maybe Shane okay. can convince her that it'd be okay for you to go on Frank's show. Yeah. Because okay. she's the one you gotta convince Shane. Yeah. Not Wait, me. you'll go on the show with me, will you not, Mike? I do what Ash says. What? <laughs> <laughs> you asked me. You're like, oh, include me. I was like, I'm on in on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Shaney boy, if, if you're going on, I would 100% go on with you. Because yeah, what I liked about the Frank thing, I thought he actually, and people have messaged me, they're like, oh, I, I had a totally different perception of Frank. And then I, I listen, and it's like, now I actually like him more. No, I actually, I do like him. More actually, than you thought way, you might. Way more than I thought, because mm-hmm. he's actually kind of a sweet guy. And, he, and like... He was saying things that didn't align with my idea of who he is, like politically speaking, and he was like into like recycling and stuff like that. Yeah. And and he was like anti-Trump, which I did not think would be the case. Because a lot of people uh, consider him to be very much like Trump. Yeah. So he was definitely kind of a sweet guy. And for every like really brash thing he said, he also would counter it with something that was sort of like had like this Zen Buddhist kind of like vibe about like what it means to live. Mm-hmm. So uh, after the Frank interview, like I normally don't do this. Like normally I just listen to a pod after when I'm taking the bus home yeah. after, after work. But I saw this doc. It was kind of like a, a planet doc. And like Frank was like, this was the day of the interview, which was like, I think the interview happened like a month ago, three weeks ago. And then it's called what the health, mm. but it's about like the planet's health and, all that, so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll watch it. Probably he had should. suggested it, or are you just in the mood to watch no, it? No, I was just he was like, talking I was just, about... one, I was like feeling amazing, mm-hmm. and then Frank was talking a lot about the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, he talked about it even more than is on there. Like, I yeah. had to trim quite a bit, but then I watched it, and it kind of like, it literally like changed my view on everything. Oh, the classic Netflix doc to change your view on everything? Yeah, like, and, and by the <laughs> way, like, obviously, I'm like, you know, when Coney 2012 happened, I was like, we got to take this guy down, you know? And I was all over my Facebook, and then <laughs> that guy turned out, he was like naked jerking off, and then it was like, Coney was this, like, I do get sucked in, and who doesn't? Yeah. And like, loose change came out about 9 11. I was like, it's an inside job, you know? Like, I, I am prone to falling for that stuff. But I had other people watch this doc, and honestly, I think I've made like four or five people turn vegan, like normal dudes, <laughs> normal dudes that we would think wouldn't do that. Hey, man, uh, Okja, Okja yeah. on Netflix turned me, uh, made me think about going veggie. Well, and then yeah. it's like this Okja. Do you know about this movie? No, it's you the, recommended that. One. It's I the did, first yeah. uh, vegetarianism action film. It's being called. Oh, but it's like this big, fat, lovable pig. It's and, phenomenal. You and Lauren got to watch together. She, and by the way, Lauren is a vegetarian. I know that. You and have I to. am probably vegetarian. I would say like fifty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, w- yeah. Watch this movie. You'll, you'll go. Yeah, I've gone uh-huh. full plant based diet. Come on, really? Yeah. And I've been waiting for you guys to be like Shane, looking good. It's just <laughs> you're looking kind of pale. It's not. It's not <laughs> happening yet. But <laughs> well, uh, to be fair, you. Well, if your uh, Instagram stories are any indication, you're out like partying until like four in the morning around a pool and i saw you walking down the street with a limp and like you look really tired right now (laughs) okay but here's the thing i don't know if you know for the past like six months i've been so tired with energy wise i haven't been able to party it's really hard for me to get the energy to muster to even go out when i do have two drinks i'm so tired i gotta go home Mm -hmm. now i'm partying like I used to. I feel like I'm 30 again, man. <laughs> <laughs> because of your plant-based Which diet. was my healthiest year of my life, was 30 years old, as sad as that is. Were you single? Say. Yeah, I was single, and I was eating great. And I, I, I had a little sickness that kind of 
scared me into getting healthy. I remember. And I'm kind of doing that again. And now I'm a hangover that would knock me on my ass for two days. I have minor headache for like half an hour. And then I'm ready to party the next day. <laughs> so what's your it's, diet like? It's I eat a lot of like squash tacos, just veggie tacos. <laughs> tacos. tacos. The diet's very limited. Um, I'm eating tacos every meal. I secretly wish I was dead. Those animals are so lucky they're being murdered and eaten. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, and I poke. Poke is like my favorite. Danica thing loves that thing shit. To eat in the world. And my wife is like, she's a teacher, but she's also like an avid learner. So she's become like a vegetarian cook. She makes, I don't know what the fuck she's doing, but it's like sloppy joes. Uh She makes vegetarian sloppy joes that taste like meat. It's more delicious. I don't even like, even when I was eating meat, I didn't like sloppy joes. But they're just these delicious meals. She'll like, it's summer break too. So she's off for two months. Yeah. So she's just making me all these meals and stuff. But I'm kind of like, honestly, like it really feels like we're ISIS. And like we're torturing these animals. And back to Weird I analogy. love how Max loves this. <laughs> you look for Mike for support. Mike's like, I'm not laughing at that. Just so, we're ISIS and we're <laughs> just weird. We, we are, He's saying though. we're terrorizing the animals. I know. They're I know. living in like these little cages and they can't even move. And they're like these cute pigs. And pigs are pretty intelligent. And not only that, to, to Frank's point about the planet, all, all this... <laughs> What? Max, you don't give a shit. You just want to look skinny. That's what this no, is about. I like how you're being informed. Like, to, but to, by Frank's point. No. It's, like, well, it's like the revelation all started with Frank. Yeah. Well, you heard what he said. If you're dirty and you're gonna, your planet's going to be dirty, you're going to get sick and you're going to fucking die. That's a direct Frank quote. But all these methane gases that are coming out. <laughs> just end it. I'm done. Fuck this. It's over. It's over. I'm not continuing. I'm done, man. By the way, we <laughs> we were uh, someone on on the iTunes comments uh, gave our pod like a two out of ten because oh, if, if, the bro meter. <laughs> the bro meter. <laughs> what do you think spawned this? <laughs> That's the real reason. <laughs> it's like these bros like have this like awakening because Frank D'Angelo told them to. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. The Mike on Much podcast can be found online, Instagram and Twitter. Mike on Much. The artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com. Huge thank you, as always, to Justin Stockman, Greg Stewart, the formidable Dan Carruthers, who keeps this uh, ship, what's the expression? Ship sailing? Ship afloat? Ship, ship afloat. afloat. Dan the man. He's the Dan best. Dan the man. Nobody does it better. No one. No, that's all I've got. Shane, you want to say anything? Don't kill pigs. <laughs> I knew See, Max would laugh at that. <laughs> See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>